Hello, welcome to another episode of the Blind Shots Podcast. I'm your host, David Hill, coming to you from Stonecrest's 13th Tee Box, high above the tumbling mountains of central Appalachia, dreaming about those smash burgers at Dairy Cheer in town down below. And this is episode 23. This is part two of my Stonecrest series, a group of episodes that will take you to one of my most special places in golf, Stonecrest Golf Course down in Prestonsburg, Kentucky. My birthday is next week, and Stonecrest is always on my mind this time of year. One, because it's a cool season grass golf course, so it stays pretty green year-round and is a lovely escape to go see something not brown and dormant early in the year. And two, because they're kind enough to send me a coupon for a free or discounted round on my birthday each year. I've yet to take them up on a mid-January round on top of that mountain, but one year, some year, it's going to happen. Today I'm bringing you my conversation with the course's current general manager and superintendent, Brad Reynolds. Brad has been a Twitter friend of mine for years. He's from Floyd County, which is where Prestonsburg is located, so... Taking on the work at Stonecrest marked a homecoming for him. He's proud of what they've built and maintained in his hometown there, so that pride comes through in the way he talks about the course and the town. Don't let the twang of his mountain accent fool you. Brad is as sharp as they come. As much as I love to espouse the virtues of the golf course, and Brad will happily do so as well, he's quick to point out some of the quirky, unconventional issues that he faces every day working on a site as unique as Stonecrest. Remember, this is a golf course built as a mine reclamation project for a mountaintop removal mining site. It's really a marvel of modern engineering for the turn of the 21st century. Granted, at some points in our conversation, we're a little heavy on the turf head and the the technical material, but I think it all helps paint the picture of a place that I'm afraid too few of you will ever get to experience. He provides a detailed look at some of the challenges he faces at Stonecrest that frankly give a nice insight to the character of the place, and at the same time he highlights some of the problems any superintendent is going to face. Every golf course is going to have its perennial problems, its problem children, because no superintendent gets an unlimited budget and unlimited time, and, you know, no golfers. We recorded back in the fall, so some of the comments may appear a tad dated, but Brad's candid, he's funny, and he paints an intriguing picture of daily life. It's a conversation with Brad, a quick reminder that this show is a proud member of the Talking Golf Network of Shows, which you can find at TalkingGolf.com. You can interact with the show on Twitter at BlindShotsPod, on Instagram at BlindShotsPodcast, and there'll be links in the show notes uh, and over on the blog posting of this episode. So check those out. It'll include links to some of the golf courses that we talk about during the episode a reminder that this podcast is sponsored by me david hill in addition to playing talking and writing about golf i'm a licensed kentucky realtor with with rector hayden realtors i work both with homeowners buying and selling their homes and also work with investors and businesses on commercial properties here in central kentucky you can find me at davidhill.rhr.com that'll list my contact information contact information sorry easy for me to say Reach out to me if there's a real estate conversation that you've been wanting to have with a professional, and I'll be happy to see what I can do. And now, up on top of the hills we go, a short two hours southeast of Lexington, back to Stonecrest Golf Course with Brad Reynolds.
actually, I could probably ride out on the golf course where you actually get some better views if you want me to. Well, I'm not recording the video, but uh, I'll take the okay. views because I, 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 I love the views. I was sitting down looking at some of my old pictures right now, and you know, one of my favorite things to do, just because I'm a golf nerd, is to think of uh, holes that aren't really holes. Like yeah. I've always, you know, next time I go up there, if the course is empty, I'm gonna play 18 from 17T just to see what that's like. Yeah. Because that looks like that just looks that just sits there, and looks like a hole. You know, the uh, trying to get to three three green from 5T seems like that would be a fun challenge. Yeah. Uh, um, well, what we've done is, like in January, we'll play a little cross country. Will you? Uh, just some local some local guys um we've done it every january and um but like we'll play 17 to 18 is pretty neat and then we've actually played number one to t to actually number two green which is seems kind of crazy but we've actually done it <laughs> now see i was thinking i'd go from one to eight green you know that'd be simple yeah, just to can. jump over the corner there yeah yeah, but if you don't care what to, if if you don't care if it's a par eight or nine, yeah, one one tee to two green, that's a <laughs> that's it's gonna, a challenge. Uh, well, Brad, tell me a little bit about you. How you ended up at Stonecrest? If I'm if I'm correct, you came from Lincoln Homestead, which is another one of my favorites. Yeah, um, which I actually grew up here in Floyd County. Okay, um, and actually started at when I was just as soon as I was able to work when I turned 16 at a little nine hole muni course here called Beaver Valley. But when I actually went to turf school at EKU, this place was only a dream, I guess. Okay. It hadn't even been built. Um, so I went to Eastern, graduated from there and worked at, Oh, I think it, this actually makes my 13th golf course I've worked on. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah. Because I was, when I was at Eastern, um, Carla Hagen, Hagen was my advisor. And she said, well, you've already worked on, I'd worked three years on a golf course before I even went to school. And so every summer I would go work and then I would have to work while I was going to school too. So sometimes my college classes would affect different golf courses in different way. And then I'd have to find somebody else that was willing to work with me while I was in school. So that's how I got to work a lot of different places. I see. So not even just apprenticeships, just trying to work to pay for school and making it fit around a class schedule. Yeah, exactly. Um, And I was at, because I actually got the assistance job at, the bull at Boone's Trace um, in my last semester of college. Um, so I went there. Then from there, I went to Bardstown Country Club uh, a year after being assistant and got the superintendent's job when the Osborns bought Woodlawn Springs and they turned it into a 36 hole facility. Right. And part of the reason why they wanted me there was I had a little bit of a touch of experience growing Riviera Bermuda in. So we trans, um, changed Woodlawn and Maywood in the same year, went from Ryegrass to Bermuda there, me and 
me and a guy named J- Jason Diaz is at um, was at Maywood and I was at Woodlawn. I don't miss that. We did a couple of fairways at Quail Chase. I worked at there up in South Louisville, um, summer of college, and they they brought in the they did the big sprig, and then they brought in day laborers to you know go with spades, yeah. spades by foot, and heel it in. And man, that was that was just <laughs> ugly work. Just you couldn't get your feet dry ever. Oh, I, yeah, having flashbacks yeah. just talking about that. I know. <laughs> um, so I was there at Bardstown for two years, then. Um, then they, then I went to, um, Lincoln Homestead in spring of 2008 and stayed there until spring of 2013. And the guy that had been here at Stonecrest the whole time, uh, he moved on and just fortunate enough, I interviewed for it and I guess hopefully like think being a hometown boy, they found. I guess they felt sorry for me and let me come home. <laughs> I don't think it's felt sorry for, but yes, I'm sure it didn't hurt that yeah. that they knew that it wasn't going to be a temporary pass through gig for you that yeah. you were coming home. Correct. Um, so I guess at that point, uh, if they started building Stonecrest, what in the late at the end of the '90s and early 2000s. I think they broke ground in 99. Okay. Late 99. And then, um, it was, it had like a soft opening in 2001 and then it fully completely opened. I think right at the end of 2001, the beginning of 2002. Gotcha. And it's funny, you know, broke ground being a, an interesting euphemism for that particular course because it's a, a mine yeah. reclamation site. They've taken the mountaintop out or off. And I guess did, did they create the, the field where the baseball field is? You know, there's a park adjacent to the course, if anybody looks yeah. on the map. And was that where the field went from the from the mountaintop? Well, it, actually, the whole property is on field. Okay. Um, it just – you have – some of the houses that are right of six fairway, there's like a big circle loop mm-hmm. of those houses and only the far street from six fairway, the farthest street away, that's the only thing that's on solid ground. Even all those houses that are right down the right side of number six, all of those are on like Anywhere from 50 to 100 foot of field. <laughs> I did not know that. And those are about the only houses on the course. You got some, I guess, on the back nine there with the townhouses and whatnot. But Correct. I, I don't want listeners that haven't been there to think, oh, this is a residential course. No, it, it's a it's a mountaintop course that just happens to have some really nice houses and streets uh, yeah. right there. How yeah, because there's only – on hole six is the only hole that has houses – relatively close and then there is a few houses between 12 and 13 and that's it yeah i've but, caught i've caught a cross breeze and been had to pick out of somebody's backyard on 13 but that they're not really in play that's just my no. swing <laughs> yeah well that hole will get the best of anybody how big is that how big is your golf course there i mean because you've got You've got some valleys in between the the routing, but it's pretty compact as far if you actually look at the playing surfaces. At least it looks like it to to the untrained eye. Yeah, managed turf. We have right at 130 acres. 
Okay. Uh, That's not much at all. We have, we have 30 acres of fairways, about four acres of tea space and about four acres of greens. And then the rough is about 60. So we don't really have a whole lot of rough compared, but our fairways are rather large for most bent grass golf courses. Right. Um, and is that, you know, you're, there are not a lot of people in the transition zone. I don't know if you technically are with the elevation being in the transition zone, but bent grass is, you know, boy, it's pretty to look at when it's green, but the, the summers around <laughs> here are really tough on it. Now, you being at a little bit of elevation and up in the, you know, up on top of the, the mountain there, is that is that a unique challenge kind of the area? Because I know the state has gone to a lot of Bermuda fairways and, and such. Well, the one benefit that we have up here is compared to some of, like, say, the state parks that switched over is we have a little bit more air movement where we're not restricted by much. But actual elevation change, there's not much there because we only average about 1,600 feet elevation. And just to give you a prime example, like Lexington is close to a 1,000-foot elevation. Right. Um, So you really – there's not much difference as far as we don't get a break from the weather – as say those mountain courses in eastern North Carolina because they're like 3,500 feet plus. And that's where you get your temperature break is the reason why a lot of them have cool season bent grass fairways because it could be middle of summer, it could be 100 degrees here, but it may not get 80 there. Gotcha. Just because of the elevation. So we don't really get much of a reprieve from the elevation at all other than we get really good air movement because there's nothing blocking anything well and and that's a good point and you know frankly stonecrest has ruined mountain golf for me because you go to a lot of other courses and yes you may be up on the mountain but you're you're cut out of a forest like over at at hidden cove or um even at eagle ridge you know you're pretty good elevation up there above the river but you're hemmed in i guess corps of engineers or somebody said no you're going to leave all those trees there Right. The only thing I can compare for people, the views at Stonecrest, maybe the die course up at French Lick, because they're up yep. on top of a hill with Correct. nothing hemming them in, and you can just kind of see forever. But it, that's one thing. That's the first thing that kind of takes your breath away is you get up there, especially on a back nine at Stonecrest, and you can just you can just get lost looking on the horizon for forever. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's absolutely beautiful, and I guess that's that's where you get your breezes, and you don't need fans, and you can keep that bent grass a little cooler. Correct. Um, yeah, we the only the talk about struggles during the summer is the greens. Obviously, we hardly ever have any problem out of those because they're USGA spec. They're on sand, and you get plenty of air movement and well draining soils, but our fairways get beat up quite a bit just because one of the things that like a lot of people don't realize is there's places where we only have two to three inches of topsoil on our fairways. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And, you know, and everybody thinks, well, it's on that reclaim rock or whatever, and everything should drain really well and all this. And it probably did in the beginning, 
because everything was real loose, all the, say, the reclaimed material. Well, now we getting, you know, 20-some years later, it's all getting compacted and settling, and basically you'll have places where it'll be a sponge, but you go down six inches, and you it's like you hit concrete. So that makes a challenge in itself, just basically trying to keep everything alive, especially when you have summers like, well, like this week, for example, it's nothing but rain every day. Mm-hmm. And people are like, well, why can't we get off the cart path? Well, you go out there and where that water won't drain quick enough, you can actually, you can sink up to that reclaim you won't go no farther but you can't go anywhere with a golf cart because it'll just sit there and just bottom out yeah you'll just spin just sit and spin yeah. and, and do and yeah. maybe that'll that turf unless you you sod it in will come back next year maybe not right. <laughs> right so that's a challenge in its own is um battling mother nature just so we can keep golfers happy so they can ride to the ball Gotcha. Is that a, you know, all golf courses settle. That's what all my architecture friends have, have said. But is there, you know, they're only, I think, I've talked to an architect and he said, you know, you guys are one of about four or five that are still operating on a, a reclaimed site. Is is there an extra settling element of all that fill and all that rock or is it, is it just the thinness? Is it just a cap of soil on top that really creates that challenge? It's both, actually. Um, every year there's a new low spot that'll come up. Um, we'll have, give you a prime example. When I first came here, number seven, which is a uphill par five, looks like how in the world can water drain, not drain off this fairway? Well, my first four years here, we never had any problems. Well, now we get all these little, we call them sinkos here in the fairway, where that the reclaim is kind of sinking, but you'll it'll just create little pockets in different places, and they'll just pull up, and water can't go anywhere. They're just trapped. So just to give you a prime example, last winter we put 3,400 foot of drain tile in that fairway. Oh, my goodness. So... In the whole winter, we spent, we put little, right around 6,500 foot of drain tile last winter in the fairways. And this year, we're already up. If we, if we get to do what we want to do, we're looking at about 7,000 feet of drain tile this winter um, to address some main areas, but we still don't get it all with that. And so you're just playing whack-a-mole with where you got a thin spot that doesn't drain because all of a sudden you're down to the the rock and yeah that's yeah it's it's a it's a little bit of a challenge. Is the drain tile? I mean, is that a a long-term solution? I mean, once you get that that tile in there, it in an area, is that going to be fixed for the foreseeable future? Best case scenario. Um, best case scenario, we hope it is, but. There's been areas where that, um, well, another prime example, hole number 12, left side of that green. Um, that has been fixed over the history 
four times just since it's been here, since in the 20 years. So about five years, you can say, then we have to go back in and do another one um, just because it's still settling. And, and if you notice, reason why that one's a little bit of a struggle is it's on the outside of a burn where they start the stepping off for the to going down the mountain. Right. And it's always been a problem with uh, water um, drainage issues on the left side of that green and that whole left side of that fairway, actually, from about 150 in. Um, because we... I've done it twice since I've been here in the eight years, and it was done twice before that, where that you fix it, and it'll last about four or five years, and then you got to go back and do another one you know, from the settling. It almost sounds like you that hole might be a candidate for change at some point, which is a shame because that's a cool little reveal. If you're on the right side of that fairway, hooking around that mountain – um, yeah. towards that green is one of the really cool shots, um, you know, kind of subtle, real golf shots there. Right. Um, well, that is a, <laughs> that is a handful of issues, uh, uh, in addition to just, you know, keeping, keeping the, the course green and, and playable. Um, yeah. do you ever run into any really unique issues just getting equipment around there? Um, you know, I'll tell one quick story. When I was up there last year, our cart gave out about halfway up to 13T. And this is a big – That's our, our cart died out on that switchback. And it was a busy day, yeah. so I wasn't going to sit there and wait. So we, we got out, and probably the best cardio workout I've ever had, me and my partner pushed yeah. that thing up, up there, and, <laughs> you know, which was fine. Once we got up there, caught our breath, the guys behind us took pity on us, and we were able to coast down and, and a kid yeah. from the pro shop. Uh, met us at, at the green and a new cart, which was fine. But um, yeah, do you ever run into you got any good stories on on some guys maybe some equipment not cooperating at at the wrong place or the wrong time? Because there's some borderline dangerous hills and and paths there. Yeah, it it can be if you're not paying 100% attention every time you're doing anything, you can get could get hurt we've been fortunate enough to never have anybody hurt good but a lot of them have had to go home and change their underwear <laughs> um they we've had uh we had a new guy this year actually mowing the t-box down from the one that's right behind you on 17 mm -hmm. and we were just mowing the rough around the t-boxes and Literally, from where it was raining so much that his back tire broke, and he just went straight down the hill about 50 feet. And Ooh. just, you know, it, but it's full grown up with trees. He just slid straight backwards, and, you know, he had his seatbelt on, and they got roll cages. It didn't flip or nothing, but it just fell off that tee box straight down, and, you know, and it, wasn't like he was in a place that he shouldn't have been. It was just that the earth gave way from where it was so saturated. My heart skips uh, a beat just you telling that story. I, oh. Yeah, it's uh, it's rather it can be rather interesting. And a lot of people that goes to are like we're one of the only few places that um, we only allow driving in the fairways. Hmm. Um. And part of that reason is 
there's a lot of places in our rough that are opposite of the cark path side that, you know, if it, if, a, if it's a heavy dew that morning, some of those slopes are so steep that you can't control the golf cart. No. And you could possibly, like hole number three, we've had it a couple times. It's always been young high school kids just thinking they can do whatever they want, but we had one one time that was on the right side of the fairway, got in a place they shouldn't have been, hit the brakes, and it took off, and they actually ended up all the way at the Little League field, which is underneath. <laughs> now, now from the, they knew it. from the fairway down to the green there, what is that? About about 100 yards from the upper tier down to 70 feet down, not elevation change, but just as if you were walking it. But that's a pretty steep slope. It's got to be. 50, 60 feet at least uh, down to that green, or maybe more. Uh, I think the actual elevation change is right at 80 feet. Oh, wow. From the That's from the 150 pole to the green. Right. Um, which the 150 marker is about 10 yards short of the end of the upper fairway. But, yeah, it just – and that's part of the reason, which we battle a lot of that with our – out of town guys are we've been promoting a lot of stand plays and you know we try to tell them you know hey it's a little bit different here we want you to stay in the fairway and it's not because we don't want you to ride in the rough it's basically just for your own safety right yeah there's there's too many places that you're flirting with disaster on those ridges and, and elevation changes um yeah you know when i was up there last year i don't know if it was some high school kids or some college kids that were walking it and i just tipped my cap to them you know it, <laughs> it, it which i got to thinking about it you know other than you know that that number 13 and maybe getting up the hill that little stretch of 14 15 16 you know that'd be rough but yeah yeah god bless them they they were out there uh you know, push carts and and I think one poor yeah. poor guy was carrying and you know that's yeah. uh, I, my which knees. What, uh, which what we do for we have a you know a ton of high school tournaments and college tournaments because we well this fall we had three high school tournaments already or this August we've already had three high school tournaments and then we've got two two day college tournaments coming up this month but we put shuttles out from three to four tee box, three green to four tee box, and then we shuttle them up from 12 green to 13. And then after that, the rest of the golf course is relatively flat. Yeah. Or a downhill walk. Yeah. It, the, those two little hot spots, and then and I got to thinking about it, it's like, okay, you know, it, once you're from down to, I guess maybe walking up 18, but, I mean, that's not as – severe is a lot of finishing holes so that wouldn't be be too terrible and you know it's interesting you mentioned that your stonecrest really is as far as a championship 18 hole course that can host a a tournament that's going to challenge you know high level amateurs and and colleges you Mm -hmm. you guys are about the only game in town for a pretty good radius um yeah there the the last time i was down there the pikeville university women were were out there having a practice round in front of us which was fun to see because man those those ladies can play <laughs> they, yeah. they were putting the ball in places i couldn't put it <laughs> they've had a really good team the last couple of years um actually all well we got three teams because upike has a men's team and a women's team and then alice lloyd has a men's team and 
all three of them are about as competitive as they're front runners in each of their divisions. Right. That's a good, uh, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. And I actually had one of the guys that plays at Alice Lloyd um, actually made the national tournament as an individual uh, last year. And I can't remember what, uh, what the NAI division it was, but it was whatever part Alice Lloyd was. And he got to go to Florida and I think he ended up finishing like top 20 in the national tournament. You know, that little corner of the earth is when a, a golfer makes it out of there onto a national scene, they always surprise people. I mean, Chip McDaniel's oh, a great yeah. story. I mean, from he's not exactly from he's not from exactly that ridge, but, you know, from Manchester, whoever who outside Kentucky's ever heard of Clay County. And, right. you know, look what he's doing, challenging. You get people if you if you grow up playing over on Lynch Country Club or at Paintsville or at Prestonburg, you know, there at Stonecrest, you're going to be able to, to do different things to the golf ball. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. Um, so it's – those guys are fun to root uh, for. Yeah, which um, he won a lot of high school tournaments here when he was in high school because they always played every – we always have the, the PIT, the Pipe Invitational, which draws everybody from all over the state. Mm-hmm. And uh, probably from, from across the border too. Yeah. We'll have a few from West Virginia come at times, and um, but yeah, it's pretty neat to watch a lot of the kids um, go up from here in this area that have a chance to make it. You know, there's a, a here being here in Lexington. There's a whole little golf mafia that's from down that area. You know, you've got um, Larry and Tyler over at, at Keen Trace, and yep, you've got the guys up at Cherry Blossom, which are you know, painful transplant. So it's it's yeah. interesting to see how it kind of filters out. Those those guys do just fine. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. Uh, talk to me a little bit about how now Stonecrest is a little bit unique in that it's a a municipal course. It Correct. was. Uh, I know the industrial board and tourism boards probably all had hands in it getting it off the ground. But how does how does the structure? How is it governed? How is the the budget? and management stuff work on a daily basis um it's pretty much got the same basis as like your say your city courses in lexington um you know we general manager here uh, um and then we answer to we have a golf board that is an advisory board that is made up of members some city council members and the mayor and we meet once a month and then what the advisory board is is we kind of hash everything out in the board meeting and then they make recommendations to the mayor um as far as when things we need to get done or what what have you and and then bigger projects and everything like say say if we bid out golf carts for the next term lease or whatever. Mm-hmm. Well, then a lot of those bigger items has to have city council approval. Gotcha. So we'll have to propose the bid to the city council, then they approve it or deny it and decide which one to go with on however the vote turns out. Um, this city's set up a little bit different. We don't have a commissioner. We just have a mayor 
and the mayor basically acts as the uh, CEO, I guess you would call it, okay. the decision maker um, for the majority of things. But we've had a great working relationship since I've been here and a lot of trust going back and forth between me and him. And, you know, it's some things I'll ask for maybe help on with for a little bit of guidance and he'd be like, well, I think you already know your answer. You're just wanting a uh, safety net or whatever, <laughs> you know? So it's been good. They trust us with what we're doing. And, but the day to day operations is basically on my shoulders and Ryan Martin, our new golf pro that just started this January. So, but it's, uh, not much difference than working for state parks, you know, it's a lot of the same things that that actually prepared me because I got used to that because it's like anytime you go buy a $5 part at the local hardware store, you got to have a PO number. Right. Because if you work for a private owner, you got your credit card or account, you just go get it and turn the bill in later. Right. So there's little inner workings there that once you get used to the process, it's you know it just comes second nature to do those things now you, you mentioned being similar to state parks now you guys are neighbors with state park with it's jenny wiley right there right jenny wiley yes now is yes. there is there any interplay or any hassles between the city and and floyd county and jenny wiley as far as getting things done or or is that are, are they in their own universe and even though they're neighbors you guys are good neighbors and no actually we partner with uh jenny wiley state park um with our stay and play packages okay um so we have a great working relationship with them um and you know that's where we like everybody wants when they come into a stay and play here everybody wants the cabins or the cottages around the lake because always everyone's number one choice so um that's been a great working relationship since we started at well, it starts our third year now with okay. the stay and play program. Um, and then as far as the county and everything else, everybody's kind of embraced uh, the golf course because one of the things that this golf course does, especially since we started the stay and play area, stay and play packages, is it drives up tourism dollars across the board. Um and tax dollars, and it's bringing people here that wouldn't be coming to Floyd County. Yeah, it count me among it. You know, every right. if I go a year without getting down there, I feel bad because it it really is a jewel of a of a course. And you know, even on a beyond the tourism, I was struck by how busy the clubhouse was last time I was down there. Yeah. I mean, it was all decked out for, and there were princesses walking in from the parking lot about waist high in full yeah. princess regalia for birthday parties and things. And it, it seemed like at least that it's a, become a really cool community asset, like a, a place people seek out for events. You got that little bar set up there and kind of an event space. That's really nice with that view out over yeah. that horizon. Um, yeah. Not something you'd expect to, to find up on top of an old, old mining site, but it's, right. uh, you got something special down there. So I'm glad yeah, people are, are, appreciative and and working together to to keep it that way yeah it's very unique and this year has been a little bit different with everything going on um but we'll typically do like eight or nine weddings a year 
Um, then we'll have, you know, just class reunions, um, birthday parties, like you said, and different things. And then one of the things that we do during the summer, a normal summer, is we actually have live music on our back deck late in the evenings on Friday nights. And we always have a great crowd for that, just for, you know, just because of the views and people wanting to come up and see the place and have a good band with live music and dinner and everything else. So looks like a good place to watch a basketball game, too. Um, we do that quite a bit often <laughs> as well. I would think. Um I don't want to keep you all morning, and I, you've been very gracious with your time, Brad. What's something you wish people knew that maybe the, the masses or even a casual golfer doesn't know about Stonecrest? If you could give them the, the quick pitch or say, you know, this is something fun and unique about this place. What's your, your short answer there? Um, I always tell everybody that they don't really play the golf course till the second time they get here. And people are like, because, and my explanation is to them is because everybody is so tied up with the views the first time around that they, the golf course sometimes actually gets overlooked. Um, then they don't really appreciate actually playing the hole because I've had guys that come from out of town on that, our stay and play packages and they'll be like, after the second round, they'll be like, man, I really like this hole. I didn't really notice it yesterday, but it'd be like 13 or 17 where they're just so tied up with, they can't get over the view. They forget what the hole is, you know, the little tweaks in the hole and how it plays and everything. And that's kind of what I've been giving everybody is, you got to come back the second time to play the course. You get to see the views the first time and then come back and play it the second time. I will absolutely attest to the truth of that. I found so many little fun things. That the ones that stick out the most from last time I was down there, there's a little mound right there on 7 Green You know that I, I, I mishit my approach shot, but it acted as a little kicker slope, kept me out of the bunker, kicked yep. me right on towards a, a front pin placement. Um, you know, number 11 – being able, you know, trying to figure out to judge, that's a, a short par three with a pretty good elevation change from the top of one ridge down to the the valley heading over to the next. And, you know, you've got a, a smattering of bunkers all the way around it. And just trying to judge that accurately is, you know, that's it's fun. you got to hit up a, a good shot of the wind. It's just going to wipe your ball right. where you don't want it. Uh, there were so many neat little features like that. I thought the greens... I was more impressed with the greens the second time around for me. You know, there's some yeah. subtle curves and and mm-hmm. and it's not big. It's not Pete Dye Carnival golf, but the, there's there's movement there, which is it's oh, just yeah. fun. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's talking about greens. It's a it's a challenge that kind of going into something a little bit different on the management side of it, um, though from the settling issues. Some of those greens used to be a lot flatter than what they used to be. <laughs> so all of this is kind of just a direct correlation with the settling issues. Um, because I know you know hole number 10, mm-hmm. 10 green. Sure. That green has got – it's one of the ones that are a candidate for where we may have to replace in the – near future because 
we've only got three pin locations on that hole. As big as that green is, that you've only got three. Yeah, because basically you got the front, the very front of the green. There's a little flat plateau. Then you got a valley down in the bottom, on the middle left. Mm-hmm. And then there's a, about a ten foot circle and directly in the back that you can actually put a pin, and that's it. Um, and probably I remember playing back in 2005 and times right when it was open and you could put the pin in the middle right of that green and there's no way that you could do that now um well you're not, you can, you're not going to get much more natural contour than the ground settling out underneath the <laughs> right exactly <laughs> but uh just to give you a little insight on that from the top on the middle right of that green down to the lowest part on the middle left is almost a six foot drop. It don't look like it, but when you shoot it with a laser level, that's what you come up with. But we've been fortunate enough to, we still got enough pin locations to where we haven't got to that point yet, but it may be here before too long. How do you even attack something like that? I mean, it doesn't sound like you can just go out there and dump a bunch of sand on it and try to grow grass on top of it. No, it'll just be a complete bulldoze and rebuild. Um, just basically start over when they get to a point where they're, when you lose, well, if you get to a point where you only got one pin location, what can you do? Yeah, your foot traffic's going to eat you up at that point. Right. Do you guys, now, we had a mild winter here. In Lexington, are you guys typically year-round? I mean, re- repairs notwithstanding, like you're talking about putting tile in. Do, most years, do do you get play 12 months, or do you guys shut it down a little bit in the, the dead of winter? No, we're we're open year-round. The only time that we close the golf course on a day is if the daytime high don't get above 35. Okay. And but most people don't want to play then anyway. Yeah, see, I like those days because the golf course is empty. <laughs> yeah, some do. We get a few, but right. Um, we played. Well, I think it's past winter. We we were only snow covered twice all winter, yeah. and it was only like uh, two or three inches at a time. And but we pretty much played consistently all winter long this this winter we've had a couple of january since i've been here where that basically wouldn't do any rounds hardly at all but that's because it, it never would get above freezing for four or five three or four weeks or so yeah it was was it 14 or 15 that i know here we had some really bad thaw freeze thaw freeze cycles that, yeah that hurt it hurt the bermuda more than it hurt anything so so you were yeah. punching today and injecting dry jack we did yesterday we finished up okay um yeah we decided to dry jack instead of pull a core because we've been so busy that we was um afraid to scare people off plus we we pulled a core in the spring so we was good enough agronomically we did just do the dry jacks and that way it don't affect don't interrupt play hardly right. at all but you know we're everybody's doing record rounds of you know for the last decade up here because everybody's got nothing else to do you guys seeing a similar Pretty effect down there. there yeah um our green fees are up tremendous 
but her outing revenue is tanked to basically right. zero. Yeah. And it's down a little bit total, but that's just because where we had so many outings before. Right. Um, and we kind of depend on those outings to keep our prices down for everybody else, too. Uh, but we're hanging in there. Um, but as far as a regular play, we've been averaging at least probably – if it's not raining, we'll do anywhere from 125 to 175 a day. That's pretty healthy. That's yeah. A, that's a pretty healthy count. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you guys doing solo carts? Are you back on double two to a cart yeah, we, option? Pretty much it's an option. If uh, if they want to ride together and individuals say, well, we don't care to ride together, you know, we let those guys decide. Basically, give them the freedom to do what they want to do. Yeah. I mean, if, it, if, uh, I, was to, if I was bringing my sons out there, I'd, yeah, I'd stick them in a cart with me. Yeah. <laughs> or if it's somebody I, I rode down from Lexington with, well, you know, <laughs> at that point, the die is cast. Cart together. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> and that's pretty much what I mean. we went solely one rider per cart for, um, I can't remember what month it's been. It's been going on so long now, but, um, Right when it, all the state parks went to one rider per cart, we kind of followed their suit. Um, then we stayed one rider per cart till somewhere in June, I think. We kind of went, we started giving them, say, okay, well, if you rode together or we'll give you the option. And so basically we're just giving everybody the choice what they feel comfortable with. We thought that was the best way to do it. That way that we're not mandating, mandating them to do anything. It's right. know, giving them the choice on whatever makes them feel the most comfortable. I'm, I'm hoping, uh, you know, that the, the really fun, one of the things I love about Stonecrest is, you know, being a cool season grass. You know, every, everybody except one or two up here has gone to Bermuda everywhere, which is fine. I mean, yeah. it plays it plays nice in the winter. Uh, if you can keep it, if it's not soaking wet. But, man, yeah. once those temperatures get up above 40, I start looking for weekends with no rain. If I can sneak yeah. down your way because it's, boy, it's green and a sea of brown. And that's just, yeah. that's, there's a value. It's tough to put a price on it. Oh, yeah. Well, that's one of the big struggles here is, you know, which everybody's always trying to figure out a way to save money. And it's always been brought up before. But my argument's always been is, you know, yeah, you could put up with a little bit of brown, say, July and August, get through the worst part, and, you know, then you're green 100% rest of the year. Right. Well, if you go to Bermuda, then you got to put up with brown six months out of the year. Yeah, it's no different than all the football fields you see in, in every, yeah. every town and county. Uh, as soon as that first frost kicks in, you're, you're playing you're on some, some muddy brown muddy brown turf. Yep. <laughs> Yep, that is true. The, the bane of laundry doers all over. Yep. Uh, well, Which more the another unique fact about this place is with everybody converting over, um, at this elevation, I don't know of any other bent grass fairway golf courses south of here. Um, even in because. 
you know, I've tried to find some. They may be one or two in some state that I'm missing, but, um, you know, you get, you go to North Carolina, the only bentgrass fairways is, uh, 3,500 feet or above. Yeah. And everybody else is Bermuda or Zoysia. Um, and then I don't know of any, you know, say our temperature, temperature climate, which is that southern transition zone now, um, there's not many big grass fairway golf courses further south than here. No, I mean we've got we've got a couple hanging on in in Lexington, but uh, again we're fair piece north of of you guys. Then um, if you don't have a, a cheap access to water, you know Houston Oaks has got the the creek on right. there. Danny's got the Elkhorn and some good ponds out there at University mm-hmm. Club. Yeah. Um, you know I was at. I worked at Golf Club of the Bluegrass. It used to be Widow's Watch over yeah. in Jessamine County. And I worked there in 2001. That's when they caught a drought. And so they yeah. they dried that. They actually had to buy water because uh, that pond wasn't big enough. Now, they've, since they've redone it and redone that number two, I think they're probably avoiding that problem. But, right. um, you know, Kearney has bent grass here, yeah. and that's – you know these summers these sweltery summers you get that high humidity and some sun and man it's yeah. it's tough oh, but yeah but yeah you guys are in a that's one of the reasons i love the course it's so there's so many little unique things about it and it's a it's a treasure it really is yeah and that's one thing that you know we try to you know everybody it's like here when you talk to members and some of these guys it's like in say August fifteenth and one of the worst horrible years you could have for bent grass, you're the biggest idiot and goofball in the world because you can't do anything. And then October first rolls around, the same guys come back around and say, "Man, I can't believe how beautiful this place is." <laughs> you know, and that's a constant struggle that you know, like I deal with, and probably Kent Dornbrock at Kearney and you know I know Carl and them guys out of champions and you know it's a little bit of discoloration to put up with to have bent grass all year is worth it in my opinion yeah just because of the playability of it exactly I I agree you know I I respect the the budgetary decisions that make people go to Bermuda I mean I get it and there's a maintenance there are certain maintenance advantages but yeah, a nice bent grass fairway. I mean, there's there's nothing like it. No, there's not. So, so I I'm not wearing a hat today, but I'd tip my cap to you because they've they've been nothing but good. I, that one thing I did want to ask: how we talked about settling and and all those. How are your bunkers holding up? You know, those things are 20 years, 15, 20 years old now. Are they are they okay with all the settling that everything else is experiencing? It's a work in progress. We're actually taking, trying to renovate in-house, pretty much trying to figure out something to do all of them. Okay. Um, And that's been a big struggle here is because when they built the place, there was no barrier between the reclaimed material and the sand. Oh. So there was just basically... They dug the holes out when they shaped it, and they just put that, pushed that reclaimed material up, and then they put, 
they might have put a little bit of topsoil in to cover it up in the beginning. But with the slopes and everything they are, when we get a washout, um, basically all the sand falls down, and then you just got crushed rock that the sand's setting on. <laughs> well, so, that, that would make for a hazard. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, but we're looking at um, – we're taking out about 15 or 16 bunkers. Some of the ones that are – not in play they're just a visual aspect Mm -hmm. just from and we're trying to still protect the golf course and keeping the bunkers that do come into play than then actually make the hole um then we're looking at we're trying to find the money to either go with better billy bunker or capillary concrete okay to provide that barrier between that reclaim and the sand because we were redoing about four or five a year and I give I give seventeen as a prime example there. That bunker that's to my right and to your left in that picture. Yeah. In eight years I've completely redone that bunker three times. <laughs> that that's not and, efficient. <laughs> and right now with all the rain we've had this week all the sand's washed down, and then it's just rock falling right down on top of it from the reclaim. So that's it's going to take a pretty penny to get them fixed back. But if we could ever figure out a way um, to get that barrier, um, then the sky's the limit for this golf course because that's our, really our only weakest link. Well, that, you know, as an interim solution, grassing them in, I got no problem with that because those yeah. ground contours are every bit as hard to play out of if it's grass exactly. or a little bit, whether it's closely mown or rough length. I mean, that's, you give me a, you give me a ball knee high and then I got to really do some thinking before I pull the trigger <laughs> on that. Yeah. Um, well, good luck with that. That's, I, I had seen a few rocks, I guess. I think it caught my, maybe on eight when I, cause I, was, I know yeah. I was in that bunker and I was like, there's some settling going on here. This is this sand is just it's well, yeah. that's I mean that's the if that's your problem then it sounds like you got you know some plans some trial and error there and yeah again doesn't affect the playability of the course. Uh, I'm make bunkers hazards. I'm fine. That <laughs> yeah from an amateur hack that that works fine for me. Yeah. Well, a lot of misconception is everybody. A lot of people can't play out of bunkers, don't know how to play a sand shot. And even though you've got the all the sand worked up and there's no rocks and it's pretty and pristine and people still hate the bunkers because, one, they never really learned how to play the shot out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've found that out a whole lot here in my time. Just with the situation we've had here, it's like, you go out and you slave for weeks, get them ready for tournaments, and you try to maintain them and you keep them where that, you know, to the eye they look good and the sand good, sand is good and everything is good, but then one guy chunks one out of it, then it's all, well, this nasty stuff ain't worth anything. All of a sudden it's your fault. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But that's part of being a superintendent too. Yeah. Hey, hey I you know, I'm a I'm a gypsy. I play 
city courses and you know like daily fees too and there's it's a little bit different Picadome's bunkers with old clay pots in the bottom of you know that's a that's a different mixture of sand and dirt than i'm going to get out at at golf club the bluegrass or or out at champions if i play there so you know what you you just got to adjust as far as i'm concerned that's true so well brad again you've been very gracious you've given me almost an hour of your time i really appreciate it big thank you to brad for taking the time for this episode i learned so much not only about the stonecrest golf course but also about maintaining and improving golf courses in general where the technical and the practical overlap and where they don't and all of the daylight in between hey thanks for stopping by for this episode of the blind shots podcast subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already share an episode with your friends on social media when you get a chance and head over to apple Podcasts and leave a review and a rating for the show Remember, each time someone leaves a review for the show, the golf ball goblin has to give back a ball from his giant stash that he's pilfered from the middle of the fairway before we could get to it. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed what you heard here. If you didn't like what you heard, I'm sorry, I can't do anything about it now, but I promise I will try to do better next time. And I hope you will join me again next time here on the Blind Shots Podcast. Until then, most importantly, and as always, stay safe and smart and sane out there. Stick with your New Year's resolutions, commit to your training regimen, do decide to go for it, and take dead aim. Are you familiar with Boxing Day? Isn't that the Canadian Christmas?